0: Well, uh, we are in another week of Gospel Foundations, and uh, as we saw in the video, uh, Solomon is um, about to take the throne after his uh, father David passes away, and this morning we're going to talk about that transition, and we're going to talk about that transition that actually uh, goes far beyond the time of Solomon into the here and now and the forever. How does that sound? All right, great. Well, I got to plug a couple of things before we jump into this, but one of them is that on Wednesday nights, we've been doing apologetics for parents, apologetics for parents, and we are, this Wednesday, we're week three, okay, we've got three more left, three, four, five, coming up on the next Wednesday nights. It runs in the barn over here on campus. It runs concurrently with junior and senior youth group and our SOAR training program for our kids, and uh, if you would like to come out to that, we'd love to have you, we're getting We're going deep with these nights and so um, a few of the topics that are coming up do you want to hear them oh my goodness we're going to talk a little bit about critical theory we're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, the the, well that's all I want to tell you anyway but uh, there's 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 more coming up but I, I need to focus my mind right now on my message but anyway I would love to see you this Wednesday night in the barn and if you're not a parent you know what? We'll let you in begrudgingly with some eye rolls. All right? Now, you're you're welcome. So uh, let's let's jump into this and let's pray. Um, so many things going on, we're going to be um, partaking of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, at the conclusion of this message and our service today. And I don't know. Is there a way that uh, God wants to speak to each one of us? That would prepare us for the bread and the cup. Because sometimes the bread and the cup feels like an add-on. Like you see the silver trays out there and you're like, oh my goodness, we're going to be here for a while today. No, none of none of us think like that here. We're, we're not that kind of church. But um, I, I, I understand that sometimes it gets a l- maybe a little bit detached. Um, I'm hoping that in the message today that as we look into the scriptures, that uh, our hearts would be open. God would open our hearts, that we'd open our hearts and minds and say, Lord, how do you want me to approach your table, your supper, uh, here this morning together? So maybe there's something that God will bring up in our hearts and minds that you can bring with you to the table this morning. All right? So let's. Uh, we're going to begin in uh, Psalm chapter 78. And I need to apologize this morning because you're gonna get your money's worth hopefully this morning all right we're gonna we're gonna dig in so if you're just thinking of like a nice coasting little whatever that's not the Chris Pahalchuk this morning that you're getting uh, this is like we're, we're diving into some stuff so if you have a Bible you probably want to grab that if you have a Bible app shut down Facebook open that Bible app and uh, you know follow along with me if you can we're starting in Psalm chapter 78 this is what the gospel foundations in our series has us focusing on but we are going to springboard off of this and see where this psalm comes from and where it's headed and where each of us play a role in this whole thing right because really when we get into the scriptures we want to learn it for what it is but then there's the big question of the so what like so what so what does that mean for my life well, hopefully we'll we'll get there this morning. Psalm 78, and Psalm 78 is just a, not just, but is one of the psalms that recounts the history of Israel. Recounts actually what we've gone through in the Gospel Foundations, a lot of it, and gives us a, a picture, a big picture view of what's gone on. And we're not going to read through the entire psalm. You can do that if you want, but we're just going to look at the end of it here together. Now the book of psalms or puss psalms, you know, you might mistakenly say, the book of psalms in our Bible is actually a collection of prayers and hymns about lamenting to God and praising His name. So the psalm, really there's a psalm for every occasion in our lives. When we're at the depths of despair. There are psalms that we can pray and read and worship God with that say, God, why is this happening? God, where are you? Why aren't you acting? And then there are other psalms that are psalms of praise. And so when we're feeling good and we've had that second cup of coffee, then we're able to turn to those ones and say, praise you, Lord. You know, everything's awesome. And then when we hit that caffeine low at about 1.30 p.m., then we go back to the lament psalms. Okay, why is this happening to me, Lord? Anyway, that's just a little look inside of Chris Pahalchuk's mind and ex- daily experience. Anyway, so let's read together Psalm 78. And this is the part of the story where, I don't know if you remember in the Gospel Foundations, um, just before Saul was made king, becoming the first king of Israel, um, There was the need was glaring, in a sense, for Israel to need strong leadership. The period of the Judges ending with Samuel, really showed that, that there needed to be faithful leadership to help this community. But also, the community, community of Israel requested a king, not out of the good intentions of, we would like someone to help us follow the ways of God. It was like, no, we want to be like the other nations. They have this awesome you know, lead figure. We want to follow someone like that. So it was a bit of a mixed bag, the request. But nevertheless, God's like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a king, and God, out of his mercy works to this idea of kingship through the rest of the Bible and even to our lives today and the forever uh, in eternity. So this starts with that, that point of the story. Let's start at uh, uh, Psalm 78, starting at, let's see, we're going to start at um, verse 65. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the highest heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing lambs, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Let's pray. Father God, help us as we encounter your word. Lord, we pray that you would meet us in these moments, that in some way heaven and earth would come together as we look into your scriptures, in your presence by the Holy Spirit today. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given us uh, your Son, that we could have life eternal, life in the here and now, and life forever. We thank you for that. But Lord, we also, in in our thankfulness and in our response, we give you our lives and say, Lord, sometimes we're a mess. Sometimes we're very aware of ways that we need to be made new. So we Offer our lives once again as living sacrifices to you. That you'd have your way in our lives. Help us to be open to your work, open to your word, open to your spirit. And help us to move forward to the Lord's Supper, to the communion table this morning. That we'd be able to bring something that you're doing in our lives and in our hearts as we meet you together this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, this uh, message is to be titled David's Death. That kind of sounds a little bit depressing. Why don't we call it David's Legacy? How does that sound, right? But then we look at David's Legacy, what we've covered lately, and there's some things about his legacy that are like, oh my goodness, that's not much of a legacy. But what we see is that Saul, obviously he, he was removed from being king, and God raised up David, a man after his own heart. But then David... You know he went through the high times he god really raised him up and he was a great king and then david made some compromises and he did sin against god and he sinned against his own people that he was supposed to be ruling but something obviously that we've seen that is different than saul's that david responded with repentance quickly but one thing we always got to remember and i think matt henley really drove this home in his message is that Just because God forgives us, doesn't mean he rescues us from the consequences of what we do. Our choices are so powerful, but God's mercy and grace are even more so, amen? But it does affect our lives and we see that in King David's story where his family gets ripped apart and he ends up on the run again, even as this great king when his son challenges him for leadership in the nation. So when I read this psalm, and maybe just a casual person to the Bible would read it, that verse 72, with upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. You may think, well, was it upright heart all the time? Well, no, it wasn't. But David does show us um, what it looks like to be a real human being being faithful to God, um, missing the mark in our lives quite dramatically, and then how God can reshape things and lead us down a path that he still gets his will and his dreams for the world done, even in spite of the decisions that we make. Now, in Psalm 78, there's a lot of different um, words that are used here that are actually uh, poetic parallelism. All right? And uh, can I just... Can we just work through this really quickly to decode? Can we do some decoding in this psalm? Okay, let's go to um, verse 67. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. That's the same thing. That's the same point said two different ways. But then you're like, well, I thought Joseph was a great guy earlier. Wasn't he like he had that Technicolor dream coat? He had everything, man. He was the... right." It's like well we're not talking about Joseph the individual here and this is where the Bible gets so confusing sometimes individual names get used to describe groups of people or nations or kingdoms and so uh, one of Joseph's sons was Ephraim Joseph and Ephraim God did not choose them what does that mean that they're damned for eternity no it means that God is at work choosing the path he's going to use, the people he's going to use to move forward in the world, it doesn't mean that everybody else is left out. It means that his work, his redemptive work, is coming through the world in a certain way. You know, we've heard that there's one way to Jesus, right? One way to the Father, right? John 14:6. There's one redemptive plan that God has in the world. There's one, and we're about to tra- begin to track that together, all right? So this is also looking into the future a little bit, because what we see is that once Solomon hits the scene, and then what Solomon brings into the nation is that there's this like dramatic split that happens in the nation of Israel. And no longer is this just a nation of Israel. There's actually, and here's where it gets confusing in our Bibles, there's two nations of Israel in a sense. It's a divided kingdom, and the north part the tent of Joseph and Ephraim and the other tribes of the North are referred to as Israel It's too confusing but you're with me you're following this aren't you and the southern kingdom where David's from is called Judah and this period of the divided kingdom really goes through the rest of our Old Testament and that's just a little look at how this when we read our Bibles These are just things we can have in our head that helps us understand. So look at verse 68. But he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens and like the earth, which he founded forever. So what's going on here? He didn't choose choose the north and those tribes. He chose Judah, the southern tribe. And he chose within Judah, he chose one city, one place to be his dwelling place where the high heaven and the earth come together where his temple would be built by Solomon. Is everybody following that? Do you get that? It's kind of like a ridiculous Russian nesting doll situation. You have Israel, then you open up, like, I got Israel and Judah. You open up Judah, I got Zion, then you open up Zion and, you know, it's, it's amazing. Then you got the temple in there. It's, it's, but do you see what's going on? If you walk away with this this morning, it's a helpful thing, I think, in, in reading our scriptures uh, together. And then we have this. He chose David in verse 70, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing lambs he brought him, to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. Does anyone see another parallel parallelism here in the psalm? What do you see? It's the same. To shepherd Jacob his people. Why are we talking about Jacob again? Why do we have this individual name, describing a nation a group of people okay and that's or that's the same as Israel his inheritance all right so he's chosen David to be a well the literal word for it is pastor a shepherd a king that he's gone from leading the sheep in a literal sheepfold and now he's gone to being king a shepherd over God's people over his inheritance, all right? Now, here's what's so cool about the Psalms. The Psalms are kind of like, the Psalmists are almost like DJs, all right? They're theological DJs. I mean, it's a hymn book, right? So this is not too far. You're thinking, Chris, this could be heresy. It's like, no, they really were DJs. But anyway, the Psalmists take from Israel's history, from earlier in the Old Testament, and from the five books of Moses, and through the story, and they bring it together in the inspiration of the Spirit to be something that can be prayed and sung and come alongside our experiences to help us with what's going on in our lives. You got that? And um, this psalmist gets it from Second Samuel chapter seven. Come over there with me. Come with me to Second Samuel chapter seven. I don't know what you think is the most important part of the Bible. I'd probably, I mean, it, that's just not even a question we should be asking, okay? It's all important. I once ran into a, a, a pastor, was very strict, and he did not like red letter Bibles. You know the red letter Bibles where you have the, the r- r- words of Jesus in red? He's like, they're all the words of Jesus. Every word, okay, okay, yes, but also it kind of hell. anyway, okay. Um, but, for me, when I think of the Old Testament, if there's some heavy hitters in there, I think Abraham is pretty big, Moses is pretty big, and David's pretty big. And when I think of passages that can help us to understand the rest of the Bible, are you ready for this? I think one of the most important passages is Psalm chapter uh, sorry, second Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. I think that is super important when it comes to understanding the Bible, understanding when we talk about King Jesus and when we talk about uh, the Great Commission, when we talk about eternity. Let's read it together. Well, let me just describe it. So this... uh, David is kind of... just got settled... In Jerusalem I'm right now I'm just mentally cutting things out because we gotta you know we got time a time thing here um, but we just come across the where, where David dances in a linen ephod right and so we have some worship songs built around that you're familiar with that story where he's like only wearing a linen ephod his wife is like what are you doing disgracing yourself and then we read it and go yeah yeah my wife sometimes says that to me no 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 that's not the point no no but his wife is like saying why are you going disgracing yourself and I just want to bring this up as we look into David getting settled what was he doing they were they were bringing in the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant is God's is Yahweh's throne you know what's going on here it's not that David like maybe some of you people out there you're you're afraid to raise your hands when you worship this isn't the point of this story The story of David dancing undignifiedly is that he took off his kingly robes, his royal robes, to say that he is not the true king of Israel, but the one who dwells between the two cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant being brought in. That's the point. And that's what his wife, who was Saul's daughter, didn't like. It was just maybe a little bit of resentment of like, man, this guy's doing everything right. (laughs) Not like my dad. Anyway, okay. So then David's kind of got everything set up, and he says this. um, He talks to the prophet Nathan and says, hey, I want to, God's been dwelling in a tent this whole time. I want to build him a building. I want to build him a house. And that night, God spoke to that prophet Nathan that David had confided in and said, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I was brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved, and with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now listen to this. Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. See that? That's what we have in Psalm 78, right? So this is the context. This is what's going on with David's legacy. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that i appointed judges over my people israel and i will give you the rest i will give you rest from all your enemies moreover the lord declares to you that the lord will make you a house make you a house and when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers i will raise up your offspring after you So what's going on here? David wants to build God a house, to be a permanent place in Israel and Jerusalem. God says to David, no, I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty, that you from your offspring will come the eternal kingdom and the eternal king. But then he says this, but actually your offspring will be the one to build the temple. Does anyone know why? because we see in in other passages that David had prepared these plans to build a temple already, that he kind of got ahead of himself. I don't know if you're someone like that, but he got ahead of himself and created all these plans, and then God's like, no, you're not the one to build it. And David's like, "Why, why? You know what God said? Because your hands are covered in blood. There's blood on your hands. And I think that's just another thing to think about David is that David is not like this perfect life, but it's the one, the one that God chose to do these things, and he did respond, even in the midst of his own messiness and suffering the consequences for the decisions that he made. But this is what uh, we call God's covenant with um, David, God's promises to David. And this is something that, as we saw in the video, Solomon is next. And it seems like a lot of these things like Solomon kind of did, right? Like, 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 let's go to verse 13 um, or v- verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, that's David's death, and you lie down with your fathers, that's David's death, I will raise up from your offspring. I'll, I'll raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Did Solomon do that? Yeah, that happened, right? Next. He shall build a house for my name. Did Solomon build the Jerusalem temple? Yes, he did. Check. Okay, this just seems like Solomon. Then he says, "Um, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Hmm. That's maybe something that gets us thinking. Is there something more to this? And look at this last weird part when he commits iniquity I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men what what do we see here is that God is saying that David you're gonna have a dynasty I'm gonna raise up an offspring to reign on the throne and that dynasty is going to be an eternal one and if any of those offspring if any of that line gets off track I'm going to do things to get him back on track. Do you know what that story is? That's the story of 1st and 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles. That's the story of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and so forth. What's going on there? Are there different kings that come after Solomon from that northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah? And they are all held to account by God. And he works in mysterious ways, very real ways, to bring their error to the forefront and to discipline and correct them to get them a chance to get back on the right track like David did. In fact, the rest of the kings in our Old Testament after David, even the ones that don't come from him that are the kings of the northern kingdom, guess what? They're all judged by three things. They're all judged by three things along the way. Did they worship the God of Israel alone? Because David did that. For all of David's faults, what was the one thing he did right? He did not bring idols into the picture. Number two, did the king rid Israel of idolatry? Number three, were they faithful to the covenant? And so this legacy of David is carried on to the other kings of like he's the ideal and did the other kings respond and lead like he did. So that's David's legacy. And now, ready for this? We're going to come together here in the last few minutes we have. We're going to talk about Jesus identifying with David and David's offspring. You ready for this? Because where we live, this is what's going on really quickly in John's Gospel John um, the beginning of John's Gospel Jesus goes into the temple and disrupts what's going on in the temple what does Jesus say to the people that are criticizing him for doing that destroy this temple and I will what rebuild it and was Jesus a temple builder was he yeah We'll we'll get into that. Um, How about this one? Jesus likening himself to David, because it's interesting if you read the Gospels, and if this is something you haven't noticed before, or maybe forgot about along the way. But like when, when the people of Israel see Jesus doing awesome things, they're like, "Is this the son of David? What's what's that? That's Second Samuel chapter seven. I will be, I will be his father. He'll be my son." He'll be David's offspring. When Jesus is baptized, what does the voice from heaven say? My beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Father, son. Second Samuel chapter 7, I will be his father. He'll be like a son to me. But here's the biggest. Let's go here. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. going to start at um verse 22 acts chapter two, or yes acts uh yes acts chapter 22 sorry acts chapter 2 verse 22 here we go men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth a man attested to you by god with mighty works and wonders and signs that god did through him in your midst as you yourselves knows this jesus Delivered up according to the definite, uh, definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and this is from Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One seek corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, (laughs) this is confidence, what peter's saying about the patriarch david that he has both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day so this psalm is about not tasting death or not being corrupted by death and he's saying i'm confident david's already experienced that verse 30 being therefore a prophet so david not only a king but also a prophet And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, 2 Samuel chapter 7, once again, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. What? What's going on here? This is... People identify Jesus in his life as being son of David. Jesus associated himself as being, you know, David and even greater than David and Solomon. But here now, when the Apostle Peter is explaining what's going on in Israel at this time, it's that this has happened. This is happening in the here and now. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, and he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This God, this Jesus God raised up, of that we are all witnesses. That God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Where do we see 2 Samuel chapter 7 being fulfilled? In the resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This is the beginning. This is the fulfillment. It's amazing how the Bible all comes together like this. Now, verse 37 and there's our ending of our message here today. Though so, so what? What shall we do? Well, the first people that heard this message, they asked that question. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart because they had crucified Jesus. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says, what? Repent. Whatever direction your life is going, now center it on Jesus. Number two, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. I don't know if you're someone out there today that has not been baptized as a Christian, but baptism is like the birth. Baptism is the beginning. Baptism is how you say, I have decided to follow Jesus. For the forgiveness of sins, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And this is where we have the birth of the church, of the Holy Spirit coming into people who believe in Jesus as the resurrected Lord and being baptized to show that they believe that and they're surrendered to that king, that king of David, that eternal kingdom. So for us, for you and me, really easy, Application. Number one, repenting of our sin, repenting in our lives of things that don't align with Jesus. Getting baptized is number two to show that we've made that decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. If you have not been baptized, I'd like to challenge you to think about that because it's your chance to say to the church and to the world, I am surrendering my life to the King Jesus, the eternal kingdom. I want to be a part of his inheritance. And then the third, here's the third application I want to give, and that is simply the bread and the cup. Because while baptism says, I've decided to follow Jesus, what does the bread and the cup say? I'm still in. And thank you, God, that I'm still in. Thank you, Lord, that it's not because of what I've done, but because of what you have done. And I don't know what you want to bring to the communion table this week. I'd like to invite the worship team up and our servers that are going to be serving for us today, the bread and the cup. But I don't know what you have to bring up here with you. Now, if you have nothing in your heart and mind and you're feeling all cool with God, don't try to think of something. <laughs> I used to do that for communion growing up in church. Like, I got to feel really bad about something before I go up and take this thing, or else I'm going to be doing it wrong. No. Is there something in your life that's between you and God? It could be something that is missing the mark, something that you know is wrong, that you're a part of and doing, and that you need to be set free from that. You need to repent of it. Bring that to the table. Bring it here. Commune with Jesus. If you've got nothing going on and you're just like, you know what, my Christian life is great right now. You know what? There's a reason why some traditions call this the Eucharist. It's because the Eucharist means the thank you meal. That when you can come up, you can come and take the bread and the cup and all you're doing is saying this, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you, Father, for King Jesus. So, and anything in between that, what's in your mind, your heart, your life, your failures, the blessings that you've had, come bring them to the table. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 together. Or not together, but I'll read. We can, you can follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this is the period that we live in, between the Lord's death until he returns. The two resurrections, his resurrection and our resurrection. This is what we're commanded to do. So a neat part that we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna have anyone who would like to partake of the bread and the cup this morning to say thank you to God or to bring what you need to get right with God to the table. We're just going to come out of our seats and walk to the front. You can sit in your chair for a bit, do whatever business with God you need to do beforehand or you can do that when you're walking up, but we want you to get to the table. We want you to come up here. And if there's anyone who's unable to make it up to the front and you would like communion... When, when we're done, when people have all sat down, just raise your hand, and uh, we can have someone bring some over to your spot, all right? But uh, bring to the table whatever the Lord's doing in your life. Bring to the table the thank you. Bring to the table the public statement as you get up in front of everybody here that says, I have decided to follow Jesus, and I still am. You're welcome to the table.